Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 18, Developing with Vue.js, Node.js, and MongoDB. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. Now, a, pre- a brief foreword, I guess it would be called. Uh, I'm on vacation next week, so this episode has been recorded about a week in advance. Uh, as a result, instead of doing our quote-unquote what's up this week, this entire episode is actually focusing on exactly what we've been up to this week, uh, actually for the past two weeks. So let's get going into it. Um, I'm going to introduce the show, and then I'm going to go through the segments, and then we will continue as we always do. So in this episode, we'll be discussing our journey through learning a variety of new technologies to create and deploy the HTML All the Things website. Uh, At each step in the development, we face new challenges using Vue.js, which we have never used in a production project. And on top of that, the entire deployment method we used was entirely new to us. So we're so the reason why I'm even mentioning this is that we are still newbies at this. So if you think that you have any suggestions, like you know maybe we're doing something really inefficiently, or you have something specific that you want to tell us, or a better way to do it, whatever, you know, feel free to reach out to us on social media, or maybe make a post in the subreddit. Because as I said, we are newbies, and this is this episode is focusing on our specific experience. Now, if we jump into the show here, we have all of our segments. Segment number one, Vue.js front-end development. We then have segment number two, which is Node.js and MongoDB back-end development. Segment number three, which is DigitalOcean and Docker deployment. And then Web News, which is entitled Wrapping It Up This Week. So, let's jump right into the first segment. Um, so this is covering kind of more my part right now. So I'm the front end developer, uh, on this project and, uh, I've never used JS before, uh, view JS before. So, um, everything down to my development environment was completely changed. So instead of using notepad plus plus HTML, CSS, and JS, I started using visual studio code. So VS code alongside a plugin called, uh, hopefully I'm saying this right. Vetur. It's a V E T you are. Um, and that offers things like syntax highlighting, auto completion, and a bunch more features uh, within VS Code. The most the most valuable parts, I would say, um, starting to work with Vue.js is that I saw I saw that there was these things called components and these other things called uh, scoped scope style sheets. So I'm going to kind of like dive into you know my sort of description of how I'm experiencing it of each of these. So in components. Uh, or four components. Components are like very small pieces that make up a website, and they're put into separate files that we import into the main app.view file. Um, components can be imported into each other as well, and they're very useful for repeat sections or parts of a site that will be appearing over and over again, such as content boxes, or as we call them, collection boxes. Um, an example, an, an example of a set of components that we're using um, are, for example, the podcast episode dot view file. So that is our full podcast page. And what I mean by full podcast page is it's like, it's not the little square that you click on to read the whole post. It's like the actual thing that it's the actual page that has an embedded player in it. It has a cover photo. It has the show notes in there. It has links. It has whatever we wanted to write about. It has it all in there. And that, that type of thing is that, that, that that's in our podcast episode view. But every single one of these full post pages, cause there's like, I just said the one for the podcast, but there's one for blogs, there's one for templates, there's one for all this. Those are all separate components, but each one of them have has a common piece, which is what we call the availability bar. And the availability bar houses all the buttons to all the different platforms that we host various elements onto. So, for example, on the podcast, we have 
the, you know, it's all, it's on everything. So it's like the pod, it's on Podbean, it's on, you know, Google Play Music, it's on Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or wherever you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, whatever. And so we have a bunch of buttons that will appear on there. Now, this is a, that's a dynamic set of buttons that will, you know, show up for different things. So on templates, it might just show GitHub, or maybe it'll show GitHub and then, a, a, you know, a store if we've listed it on some sort of theme marketplace or that type of thing. So that's what the availability bar is. So we have a separate availability bar dot view file which is another component and that availability bar goes into in this case the podcast episode dot view it also goes into all the other ones all the other full post pages like i said for the templates and whatever else so that that's rather interesting um that's a, that's a rather interesting way to to make to make a program i found uh, it's 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 almost like it's almost like making little condensed programs. It's it's, it's basically like you if you took if you took a design which we did if we took like a like a, a wireframe, we can say like okay this piece of the wireframe like these content boxes um, in our case we call them collection boxes these collection boxes can be one piece the hub can be this other piece etc 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 and that'll transition nicely into my second example which is uh, we have hub view which is another component and it has collection box view embedded in it so I'll explain that so what it is is you, let's say you go up, go to the the HTML, all the things homepage, right? You're presented immediately with like sort of like a, I never really understand how, I never really know what to call these things because they're called so many different things, but it's, it's like, it's, it's literally just the hub. That's what we call it. And it has all of the different squares of, you know, it has a little thumbnail, it has your, your date, it has your, the title of your article. And if you click on one of those squares, there's like a grid of them. If you click on one of those squares, it goes to the full post page. Like, like for example, the podcast episode page. So that, that's our hub. Our hub houses houses all of the little squares, or in our case, we call them collection boxes. So in this case, we have two uh, two components that we've made. We have hub.view, like I mentioned, which is housing all of the collection box.views. And the collection box.views, and Michael get into this more in, in the next piece, but collection box.view is is automatically populated and created. So all the collection boxes are made via dynamic you know, a dynamic system based on what's in the database as to what articles we actually have, uh, like on the website. Do we have a bunch of show notes? Do we have a bunch of templates this week? Do we have a bunch of blog posts? Whatever, right? So that that's what that that's kind of like a I think a, a kind of a comprehensive a comprehensive example of like kind of how components work, and that's kind of how I've been using them, and and it's interesting. Because it's a it's a different it's a different uh, mentality when you're making a site to sort of break it up into modular pieces and actually have those pieces be separate files. So you can just kind of be like, I'm going to focus on the content on the collection box. I'm going to focus on the podcast episode page. So it's it's kind of an interesting but like more focused way of developing, I would say. Um, but th- that's my kind of my my two cents at the end there. Um, so another thing, another part that I uh, really liked was a thing called scoped style sheets. So scoped style sheets limit the styles that you're typing in within the file that you're coding in. So in our case, we limited a bunch of styles to the scope of the component that they're in. And this is very helpful when you want to have the same descriptive name for an element, but the styles themselves need to be different. So, for example, um, normally you'd only have you'd only be able to have one class name be covered dash photo, let's say. But with the scoped attribute on that style sheet, you could have all your components have the cover dash photo class name, but have the cover dash photo class name have actually different properties and it actually look different for each one of those components because the the scoped the scoped attribute keeps all of the um, all of the styles scoped to that particular component. So 
this is this is really useful, like I said, just for that example there. But another thing that we did was I um, I made up all of the full post pages, right? So I made up there was podcast, there was one for templates, there was one for there's one for snippets, there was one for whatever, right? And what I did was I realized I was like, oh, a lot of these are common, but there's like some that need to be a little bit different. So I I took the scoped attribute out of one of the components. I made a bunch of the generic assets with generic and descriptive names in what in that one component without the scoped attribute so now it applies to the to all the components and then i made each of the other pages so i took the it was the, actually the blog post page i took the blog post component did took out the scoped put all the generic changes in there and then on all the other components that were more advanced for example like the podcast the podcast page it's the only type it's the only page that has an embedded player whereas the other pages are the only ones that have let's say a gallery or something like that so i have specific scope styles for each of those and that again is like is like a real different way of thinking about it um rather than how i would normally do it with just like having a css file or two and and where i'm like you know worried about conflicts and want to have different names and maybe like names you know compiled with ids and i'm overwriting properties or i'm having conflicts there and that's kind of where most glitches come from where you like forget to change a property when you're trying to move it around at different responsivities and, and that type of thing like a, a front-end developer would, would get this right because it's it's kind of all over the place. Like CSS kind of gets all over the place later on in the project. Um, especially when you're testing, you're like, why is this not moving? And you're like, oh, I still have a as position absolute, for example. So the, the scope style sheets is a real, is a real big help. And it's, it's a, again, it's a different way of thinking when it comes to actually putting together a web page, or in this case, a component where, you know, it's easy, it's easier to actually like put it together and, and sort of, and sort of keep it together uh, and keep your project together. Um, now, one thing I will say is that I'm not using, I'm not using anything uh, special, if you will. I'm not using bootstrap. I'm not using any of that. I'm literally just using CSS within this and I'm at, and I am just straight up using uh, HTML um, along with some view stuff. And I'll kind of, I'll talk about that now. So one of my biggest challenges with using Vue.js has been adapting to the, the class and style bindings. So they're basically how I control some of the UI elements on the page. And in my case, it's specifically for visibility, like conditional visibility. And I had to fight the urge to simply use a, a JavaScript, uh, like just like a standard JS script, um, which I could have done, like it would have worked. But because I want to use Vue.js for everything that it is, or for everything that it has to offer, and I want to like, you know, quote unquote, use it like, properly like I know you could use JS but I kind of want to use it the right way and like have Vue.js itself take on whatever it can take on especially when it's like it's not hurting the project in any way it's still efficient so that's been one of my really that, that that's been one of my challenging things I just trying to wrap my head around that um, I understand it's probably like super simple for a lot of other people but it's I think it's like a mentality change where it's normally I'm just controlling it with a real quick like oh just display none here or visibility none here or even with a media with a like, a, like an at media uh, breakpoint, but in general, like it's just it's just a, a weird mentality, and I always mess up the variables and stuff like that. So and and I'm still getting used to reading the errors. So it's more of a mentality change more than like a oh man, this is so technically challenging, you know. Um, and I'm still new at it, obviously. But it was also challenging for me to set up the dynamic data on the page, uh, most of which was done by Mike specifically when it came to pieces of information that needed to be pulled from the database. But I was putting in some dynamic data that was like more scripted or more like not going to change. So dynamic data, like the company name um, and maybe like 
maybe like a, a couple of like links to websites or that type of thing, like a link to like socials and that type of thing. Those those things aren't really going to change. And some of some of those on all of them are hard coded. They're not in the database. Um, but I put them in like dynamically so I could just change the variable and it would change across all of them. Again, it's like an easy thing. It's like, well, you just changed a variable. You just change a variable name. But it's it's just getting into the knack of being like, I can't just var it. I have to like go in here and like declare it here in Vue.js. Then I have to call it here. I have to add it as a... I have to add it as like a property. I have to like move it around a lot and that type of thing. So that was that was uh, that was a little bit challenging. And just to kind of reiterate, to be clear, these challenges weren't so much technical, but rather more of a procedural challenge. Um, I'm not used to having these type of elements in my workflow, and uh, breaking old habits, as everyone knows, is rather difficult, especially when you're presented with learning something completely new. Uh, but it's all working now, and I'm glad it's done this way because it, it really furthered my knowledge of Vue.js, and I you know, learned how to read a bunch of the different types of error logs. I'm still learning, but I, I learned how to like read and interpret a lot of the error logs and I'm slowly starting to understand Vue.js. And I think we're, I think Mike and I are getting to the point where we could uh, confidently actually make a site with Vue uh, as well as this other, as well as the rest of the stack, which I'll let him cover later in the show. I'll, like it, it's like, we're getting confident so we could actually do it for a customer themselves. Um, I think what I'll do now is I'm going to pass it to, uh, to Mike. Cause Mike has a couple of things to talk about the front end development. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh, I think you covered that really well. I actually didn't know that you were using the scoped style sheets, like unscoped, the one style sheet. That's that's cool. I didn't realize what was happening actually <laughs> when uh, when I was testing everything. So yeah, that's good good to know. Um, I'm glad you're using it for its actual purpose. Uh, but other than that, let's uh, let's get into a little bit more uh, on the technical side of view. So there's a few technologies that I've kind of been introduced to since our last view episode. And the three mainly are uh, Vuex, Vue Router, and Axios. Uh, all three of these are first-party libraries, which is something I find kind of cool with Vue is that, uh, as in comparison to React, maybe where React has like a good base, but all of most of its like most important libraries are actually third-party, so created by developers that aren't associated with React. Whereas Vue uh, has a lot of really good first-party libraries, so you don't have to go out and look for third-party developers uh, to you know supplement the actual like core base of your technology which which i find is a big benefit in terms of longevity and uh, potential you know potentially using it in production down the road where you don't know what a third party is going to be up to even even if they're reliable uh something could happen and they could they could abandon development and that's it where as a first party you kind of know that it'll pass from hand to hand internally and that's probably a better a better system for it um so again we're going to be talking about these three libraries uh so and i'll i'll kind of Throughout this whole episode, I'll kind of only mention like the general core purpose of of a of a technology, uh, and then how we use that technology inside of our actual application, the Hat website. Uh, I'm not going to go too in depth with each technology because I think that each technology will pretty much merit an episode on its own, and uh, I don't have the the knowledge base right now currently to be able to do an episode on just one of these technologies. Uh, I hope to be able to develop my knowledge base to do that eventually in the future for everyone. Uh, but for now, I'm just gonna give you a kind of a very good overview of how we're using them. Uh, so let's start with uh, Vuex. So Vuex is a state management solution inside of Vue. Um, and what it pretty much does is it it gives like a global object to all of your components that they so they could share data. Uh, and this, this is important because for us, we're, we're using it to store our logged in status. So how our application works is we have like kind of an admin side, an admin panel, 
and we have like the client side or like what, what, what you will all see when you go to the website. You'll see like just the content blocks or the collection boxes and the nav bar and stuff like that. But what, what we can do is we can log in and then see kind of the same thing that you see, but with a admin panel overlay over top of it where we can add, delete, uh, edit, uh, stuff like that, those content blocks. So what, I, what I'm using Vuex, the state management solution for is... Uh, actually storing the logged in information and storing all the methods for being able to get that information back from the server. So it, in in that case, any component that needs this logged in status that has that those admin uh, privileges will just reference one object called the store.js object, which is contained, which is where I'm going to use it, be using Vuex. And they'll be able to then uh, access all the information stored in that object. Like, oh, it, it is are you logged in currently? What are the credentials? Uh, wh where is your like session token? Stuff like that. So it, I'll be able to, you know, I, I extract all the information and I use that to conditionally show, conditionally hide things and conditionally uh, make some routes unaccessible to people that are not logged in. Like no one not logged in can add anything, delete anything or edit anything. That just makes sense. Uh, no, but... Yeah, that that and then everyone, no one logged in can actually see the admin the admin panel. So those are the kinds of things I'm using VX for. Uh, the next thing would be View Router. Uh, this is just like a built-in uh, library router, so that you're able to actually navigate around your site. So you can use you know slash uh, hub, and then you can get to the hub slash. Uh, uh, you know, slash content block with uh, maybe a parameter of like the content block ID to get to the content block, uh, stuff like that. So view router allows us to put in routes, declare routes inside of Vue.js, and then use them throughout your application as well. Um, they're kind of also accessed globally throughout any component throughout the view router object. So it's, it's, it's really useful like that. And it also adds in features like uh, on route change so you can always be watching for a route change and then based on the route change you can do something in a in a separate component component to component basis which is which i find really cool uh it's 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 a fairly simple library so it shouldn't be too hard to get a, like start up and use and i definitely recommend it for anyone using an application that requires any sort of routing going home about anything like that it's really easy to set up uh, and the third one uh, is Axios. Uh, so Axios is also a first-party library, and it's the uh, kind of the HTTP request library for Vue. Uh, so something like an AJAX request, some stuff like that. So it, that, that's what it does. And uh, it's just as simple as it sounds. So it, it uses um, it uses promises instead of... Uh, Instead of callbacks, which I which I find you know more progressive, it's it, it's it's a better way to do it nowadays. Uh, so you you know you put a dot then after you do your HTTP request. Um, and again, it's it's a very simple library. If you've ever used an HTTP request, if you ever use an AJAX request, you'll understand how to use it pretty much by reading the documentation. And I just want to really commend the documentation of UJS because. I very rarely had to go out of my way to look for like a Stack Overflow article or like a, uh, you know, any sort of other form where I would need to find other information that wasn't contained inside of the documentation for Vue.js. So huge kudos to, uh, I think his name, his first name is Evan. Um, so huge, huge kudos to that guy. He's, he's done really good job with the documentation and like I'm huge like advocate of Vue.js at this point, uh, just from the it, it's been a few months now with experience, so I, I wouldn't say it's a lot, but from the experience that I have. Um, so that that's about it for just kind of talking about uh, Vue.js Vue stuff and front-end stuff. And I just want to go back and uh, now go on to segment two, 
which we'll be talking about uh, Node.js, MongoDB, and the backend development stuff. So this stuff, I'm not the strongest at backend development. I have done a couple projects where I've had to use like a significant amount of PHP. I've had uh, I've had one project where I had to use this exact stack, whereas in like the Node.js, MongoDB stack, uh, and I, I was fairly successful with that. So I have, I would say, a foot in the door. I wouldn't say I'm at all like experienced in this. So it was definitely a challenge. And thankfully, with this kind of project, it was a good step in uh, it was a good like right step in the direction because it wasn't too complicated to set up. So pretty much, I'll start with Node.js. So the Node.js, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, Node.js is kind of like a, a server infrastructure technology that uses JavaScript as its language. So you can kind of run JavaScript throughout your whole entire platform. Uh, it's really good at handling uh, multiple like requests to it. Uh, it's really good at load balancing those requests. Um, uh, it's it, But other than that, like it's similar to, the P, to PHP and what it can do. So just imagine if, if you're a PHP developer and you haven't heard of Node.js, Node.js can do most of the functionality, if not all of PHP, just using the JavaScript language, using its own framework, stuff like that. Uh, so pretty much what we're using Node.js for is to be able to handle uh, calls from the front end and receive and send data from the front end to the back end. So what, what that means is that the server has to handle many calls and requests. So a request might be to get all the content from the database. A request might be get all content of a specific type from the database. So get all, get me all the podcast episodes. Get me uh, so then and then there's a, a request might be a post request. So this would be like sending it to the server would be add content of a specific type to the database. So I want to add a podcast episode uh, to the database with this all this information filled out. Send it and it, the the database the Node.js will handle the transition from taking it from the front end, converting it to something the database will understand and sending it to the database and storing it there. Uh, and then saving a reference to it, obviously. So then there's also delete content and then authentication is another one. So authentication means like, like I was saying with uh, Vuex before on the front end, we need to be able to make sure that there's some routes that are secured and some information that's secured. Uh, and when what, what we do with Node.js is we actually use it to handle the logging in aspect and the storing of client credentials and the actual uh, log, the login, you know, response tokens and stuff like that. So the, the front end will contact the back end, the back end will do all the login stuff, uh, and it will respond back with saying if you if the credentials that you entered are correct. And then it'll, if, if the credentials are, are correct, it'll send you a login token, like a, a token that you can enter into your actual uh, website, the header of the website, and then use that f further on. So you don't have to keep, you know, contacting the, the back end. The token, tokens are really good to use because, again, it alleviates the need to contact the back end constantly uh, for every single request that you make. So pretty much uh, th those are the main, major things that the server will do. And even though these are standard server requests, uh, it still took some time to set up uh, just because, again, I don't have that you know vast knowledge and vast experience. And I also have never set up uh, a front, a separate front end communicating with the back end. I've always used the built-in templating engine, uh, like uh, I think it's called Handlebars. I, I use that uh, on Node.js, and so that, that was a little bit more native and, more, and easier to understand when I was learning Node. Uh, this was a separate thing, not too much of a difference. Uh, so it just responds with data instead of responding with like an actual uh, re request to go to a different route, uh, which is fairly simple to understand. But again, it took me a little bit, a little bit of time, and it, it makes... It, it just I just want to say that it, it wasn't like an easy, you know, 
bam, I, I understand this. This was a two-week period of me crunching through almost all these technologies, having very little knowledge in each of them. So it was inter- it was an interesting experience. Uh, I had to do this while balancing my other client work, so that that was also cool. So good project management experience, good experience, just learning technologies and managing and you know staying sane because this was uh, definitely a crunch on the mind. Uh, so that was no Node.js. Uh, let's move on to MongoDB real quick. So Mongo, Mongo, Mongo is a database that stores uh, objects as JSON blocks. So it's and it's it's an alternative to SQL. So if you're familiar with SQL, MongoDB can kind of handle the information that that stuff that SQL can handle uh, a little bit differently. Um, I believe it's uh, not it's a relational database as opposed to SQL. So that that's the that's that's kind of like the the comparison that that some people make. We're using it as a very you know rudimentary database. It's not gonna like in in my eye. I don't think it's ever gonna store more than like ten thousand objects in it, which is very small. Like you could technically do that with like a JSON file. Uh, it's it's more it's more learning the technology, learning how to use it eventually in the future in a future project to be able to you know implement a larger database with a much larger uh, impact on your on your website. So I, I'm not too worried about the optimizations. Like I know for sure 100% SQL can handle this just as well as Mongo would. That wasn't the that wasn't the reason I made the decision to use Mongo. Uh, the the reason I made the decision is because using Node.js, I know that there's a lot of very good tie-ins to Mongo. And I know that Mongo, um, I like I like the fact that it stores stuff in JSON because I understand JSON really well. Uh, and that that's kind of, it was like, you know, I, I understand it. That's why I want to use it. That, that was the only reason. It wasn't a performance thing. So I just want to make that clear. Uh, so pretty much what we use it for is just storing our content block data. So our content blocks consist of stuff like title, date, uh, the type of content block, uh, and then it will consist of like an, an array of objects where each object is a different availability bar uh, component. So the availability, availability bar components will be like, uh, oh, this is a tune-in component and it has this link. This is a, this is a you know, uh, Podbean component and it has this link. This is a Podcastboss component and it has this link. So you're able to kind of access everything you need inside of a content block. Um, I have it set up in a little bit a little bit differently where I have preview blocks uh, as a separate collection in the database so that when you load the web page initially it'll get your like the, the preview blocks that you need and the preview blocks only have a, like only four or five uh, attributes um, and they're they should be very quick to respond to the server uh, and I, I'm doing that so that you don't you know load all this useless information on on load and you know get your loading times down uh, right off the bat, you can just kind of load in the background the information that you need on the page. And I'll eventually probably have some hooks on, in place where if a person loads the page, they get all, they get everything loaded, start loading like the the first like six content blocks that you see there, start loading that information on the page before you get, before you continue on. So uh, that that's kind of a future project. And uh, and actually that. Um, that perfectly leads into the next uh, the next part of this is what still needs to be done. So, uh, we still need to get a DigitalOcean Spaces uh, section, and sp- what Spaces is is like a, a place to store all of your. Uh, it's like a bucket to store all of your content. So, in content, I mean like images. Mostly for us, it's going to be images. Uh, right now, we're just kind of storing it on the server side. It's not a huge deal for us right now. Uh, I know it's not like the proper way to do it. It's not a huge deal for us right now because the amount of images we have is very small. 
the amount of space, like even on the cheapest DigitalOcean uh, container, uh, DigitalOcean droplet is 25 gigs, and our like we have like I don't know 15 images. It, it it's it's irrelevant right now, but I want to uh, very soon set up that spaces uh, so that we can we can kind of elevate the load from the server's bandwidth to the spaces bandwidth, and then we can uh, store all of the images in a space on DigitalOcean and not have all the images stored locally. And then, you know, in the future, when we expand, when we have more images, uh, we don't have to blog up the server with, with actually serving the images as well as serving the website content and the database content. Uh, so that, that's something that I still want to do and I want to do fairly quickly. Uh, the next thing I would like to do is um, have Cloudflare CDN spread our content so i want to look into that i'm not like very familiar with cloudflare i've just heard it in passing many times i've looked it up maybe a couple times nothing too intense but all i know is that uh it'll it'll take our website and kind of spread it across the globe uh into its servers and it'll kind of uh elevate also the bandwidth on our server so people will be able to con to to access uh the website quicker in different areas so not just like if DigitalOcean just has it in one in one hub, central hub, Cloudflare will take that and spread it into like many, many, many different hubs across the world and handle all the requests for you and stuff like that. So I definitely want to look into that. I want to I want to see how that works, how much it costs, and uh, hopefully we'll have uh, we'll have some information for you. Maybe we'll do either a, a, a segment or an episode on Cloudflare because it seems really interesting and a very powerful tool to me. Um, that pretty much wraps up the backend development side of this. Uh, Matt, did you have anything to add to the backend or should I move on to the uh, deployment? Um, I think, I think you covered that rather well and like, I'm not super involved into it. So I think, I think the next section uh, sounds good to me. Okay. Sounds good. So let's, uh, let's get through the deployment. So, um, for deployment, this, this was definitely the most challenging section for me. I am very, I, I don't understand DevOps that well. I don't understand. I've never really done deployment stuff. Matt actually usually handles our deployment of anything, like just even to a static server. Or he's he's really the guy that would go and uh, and do any sort of Linux administration stuff as well. And he he knows that much better than I do. But um, what I, I decided to do for this one is because I know all like I'm using all these technologies. It would be tough for me to uh, kind of explain to Matt how they need to be set up to communicate with each other. So I decided to just kind of take it on myself and try it out. Uh, so what we decided was we decided to use DigitalOcean for our VPS, uh, virtual private server. Uh, that will be running kind of like a, a Linux installation. Uh, and with that, I wanted to I wanted to use something that would be a little bit um, more... I wanted to just not use like a regular Linux installation. I wanted to use something that would be more transferable in the future. So. Uh, I decided to go look into Docker. Uh, Docker is a really cool system where it, is, uh, you're, uh, it allows you the ability to create small virtualizable containers for each technology in your stack. Uh, so you kind of like, it's kind of like creating like a mini VM almost with like a Linux installation running, but it strips everything out that's not needed. And like, if you need a Node.js uh, Docker, it'll only run the, the stuff in there that needs Node.js, uh, which is kind of cool to me. And Another really big positive of it is I can set it up locally on my computer if I want and have it mimic exactly my environment in deployment because all these containers are going to be exactly the same. And I like the fact that DigitalOcean had like a, a 
ready-to-go one-click Docker installation. So I didn't have to you know, go in there and spend any time installing Docker on top of it. Not that that's a very complicated process. It seemed pretty simple even on Linux, uh, even to a Linux newbie like I am. So not a big deal, but I like the fact that I could save you know, maybe 10, 20 minutes of my time. Uh, so what we decided to do with this Docker DigitalOcean combination is then set up three containers. So the three containers that we would need, uh, the first one is Nginx. So Nginx is uh, is like a, a web server, and it allows you to serve static files. It's similar to Apache, if you know Apache. Uh, Nginx, I think, is a little more flexible, a little more modern, and it, it could do load balance, balancing a little better. But pretty much uh, the Nginx for us will be serving the static files, so the Vue.js files that are... That are uh, develop when you do the actual, uh, you know, the, the the compiling of the Vue.js files, it'll actually run down to regular static files like HTML, uh, CSS, and JS, just standard files. So it will be serving those files, the front end, and it will also be doing a proxy, the proxy routes to the Node.js server. So if anyone hits, if, if you know, the, the route hits uh, slash API, it'll run it to the Node.js server, and the Node.js server will handle all the information there. Uh, so that's what Nginx is doing for us. The next thing is uh, we'll have a Node.js uh, Docker container, and the doc that that Docker container is literally just running our Node.js backend server stuff and our server infrastructure, just just like it is kind of like locally. I had you obviously have to change a few variables for uh, development to uh, production, like uh, where where your your uh, MongoDB connection is pointing. Uh, stuff like that. So it, it, it was actually fairly smooth to set up the Node.js side. Um, so yeah, the Docker container just containing our Node.js installation. And then we have MongoDB container just just running a MongoDB instance where we can have it connected to uh, our database. So it's just running MongoDB so that Node.js can, can, uh, can interface with a database. That's that's all it is. So just three three containers. They're all talking to each other, and to make them talk to each other, you have to kind of uh, set set them up on the correct ports. Uh, and you can do this with a thing called a Docker Compose file. You can do it in many different ways, but I chose to use a Docker Compose file. Uh, it seemed like the the best way to do it. Like I don't know why you would like, if especially if you have multiple containers, go in and try to you know command line interface every single one of them because what a Docker Compose file does is it's kind of like a config file for all your containers, and you're allowed to put like you know attributes like ports, attributes like volumes, uh, stuff like that. Like the the very core attributes, kind of in a, a very easy to 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 digest and to edit format rather than just having a big line, a, a CLI, like command line interface line uh, that, you know, just has all those attributes in line. And that those are kind of harder to understand, in my opinion, um, especially when you're first seeing them, when you rather than seeing the attribute and the, you know, the property uh, in, in, a, in a separate file, instead of a separate configuration file called the Docker Compose file. So the Docker, like learning all this stuff, learning the doc, like I had to learn pretty much Nginx from scratch. I had to learn Docker from scratch. I've never used those two things. Uh, I, then I had to learn how to, you know, put Node.js on Docker, put MongoDB on Docker. And then one of the harder things is like, how do they communicate internally? So I know that, like, I knew that they were like running, but then I had to make sure that the ports were all set up correctly. I had to make sure that the configuration inside the actual files were set up correctly. Um, that definitely, definitely took a long time. And it wasn't, it wasn't one of those like, 
it was it was a very grueling process for me. I know that DevOps is not my thing now, which is a good I mean it's a good realization to have. Like I'm not that into develop to 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 doing any sort of deployments and stuff like that. I'll definitely probably leave this to someone else in the future, but it's good to learn. And I, I'm glad that I went through this process so that I can kind of understand some things better when I am doing my backend development or my front end development. And maybe I can, you know, elevate some problems that I can see for foresee in the future with people that are going to be doing uh, the, the actual uh, deployment. So definitely, definitely interesting to learn. Um, and so the other thing is like to connect to the DigitalOcean server, all I had to do was SSH. I used PuTTY to connect to it. That was really simple. Um, and, and then you have to be somewhat familiar with a CLI or command line interface, uh, like, a, you know, a CMD prompt or a terminal prompt, uh, stuff like that. So that, that was really, this is really the condensed version of what we had to go through, uh, to develop this site, uh, that you'll, that you, you should be seeing now since this podcast is up, the site should be up at this point at htmlothethings.com. Uh, so definitely check it out and let us know what you think. And, uh, like Matt said at the beginning, if we're doing something completely wrong and we're talking about it right now, please let us know and we'll uh, make it, maybe make an addendum in a future episode or look at it ourselves and kind of, you know, come back with you of why we decided to do what we did um, and stuff like that. So we, we're definitely, I'm definitely not saying that we did everything correctly. I'm glad that what we did worked. <laughs> I think that's like the, the major thing. Um, Another thing is like security is a little bit of an aspect here as well. Uh, I, I actually added a little bit of security to our Mongo uh, database. I don't want to go too far into that because I don't want to, you know, give away what I did uh, to make it easier to hack. But the Mongo database is fairly secure. Um, so yeah, the, that's that's something that I that I looked into. And uh, obviously, all the passwords are hashed and stuff like that. Like I did, I did kind of use the common sense security aspect of it. I don't think it's extremely secure. I'm sure if someone really wanted to attack our site, they could get into something. I'm not. I'm not a security expert in any way, but I'm hoping that, you know, for the layman, it'll be easier. It'll be one of those, a deterrent at least for people not to, to come in and just, you know, screw around if they find something. Um, so that that's about it for the development stuff. Uh, I, I'm going to pass it off to Matt if he has any comments on what I've been talking about or if he wants to just go into the uh, next section, which is web news. Well, the one thing I would want to say is like you were saying that it's all kind of new to you, both the deployment type of stuff. And I think it's important to say that, um, like there's a reason why in, well, especially larger companies, but there's a reason why in larger companies, there's separate teams for each of these things. So, you know, for the, for the new developer that's listening to this right now, it's like, you know, it sounds like a lot if they have to spin up a whole bunch of stuff and then they have to, they have to like, they have to learn the web development themselves. Like they have to learn the programming and then they have to learn the different libraries and then, you know, that's that's learning a mentality and a way of thinking of all its own. But then they also have to, like, learn server administration, that type of thing. There is a reason why and, – and this is a general, right, a generalization. Sometimes people know everything. But as a general thing, it's like there is a server team in place. There is a – there is some sort of other team in place uh, that's there That's there for this exact reason. Uh, so like I used to just do, for example, I used to just do server administration and anything that the people were doing on the actual server, for the most part, I wasn't really involved in. All they said was I need this application set up in this particular way. I would set it up and then it's like, it's up to them after that. If they need support, you know, maybe they'll contact us and say, Hey, is it still working? Yes. Okay. Now I got to go figure out why my part of it isn't working. Like the, the, the person, because so like I'm just I'm just trying to say that I'm just trying to say that like 
don't feel discouraged that there's so much going on, uh, like, like to the listener and we're kind of a jack of all trades anyway, because we've been bouncing around the field for, you know, well, I'd say around 10 years now, uh, including some college in there. So, so like, you know, just kind of focus on what you're doing, keep going on, keep going, keep doing what you're doing and make sure you like read guides and that type of thing. And also a thing for Mike too, is that you were saying that like, you know, you would hire somebody else to do that. Um, it's really a mentality thing too, is it's like, it's like, you know how, like if you learn to program, it's like you get into like a programming mindset, I guess is the right way to say it. It's like how you problem solve. It's the same for like a, a system admin. So it's always like, Oh, I need to set this up. I've never set this up. But like, where's the king config file? Like that's like kind of the next, the next, like, uh, that's like kind of the next step for everybody. Normally, like when they become assistant, when you become like assistant admin, like I was for a while, it becomes like a second, a second thought process where you just like immediately start thinking of like the next thing where it's like, I've never used this thing before, but I know there must be a config file. I never used this thing before, but I know it's not working properly. It's probably something wrong with the firewall. Like you get like an intuition, just like you would with it. And especially just as you would with programming and that sort of comes in time. But I just, I, I thought that was important to mention because people are going to be listening to this. Cause this is a more technical episode. Probably, probably our most technical. I would, I would, I would guess. Mm-hmm. And people might be like, Oh Jesus. Like, just to spin up a site, I need to learn like all like a, like a million and one things. It's like, you have to kind of be jack of all trades, but if you just kind of follow the instruction manual for the most part, you should be fine. And generally you won't need to know this stuff super in depth because somebody else doesn't know your stuff super in depth. Right. So just, just something to mention, something that I thought was something I thought would be important to, to say. Um, but I think we can move on to web news. So uh, Mike and I kind of had a discussion before the web news um, this week. So what we're going to do is I, we kind of, we kind of phrased it. It's going to be a little bit different. So we, we kind of phrased it as sort of a, sort of like, if you've listened to our tidbit, we kind of want to have like an, like our tidbit before, which was like a small episode, like a mini episode was sort of like a, an impromptu phone call, if you will. So it was just sort of like somebody had recorded the call and we hadn't, we hadn't like actually like scripted it like it wasn't scripted it wasn't planned it wasn't like like right now we're looking at show notes as we as we do this show but like you know there was really no show notes other than some you know meeting meeting notes that were were for no way uh for presentation purposes so i think mike and i were discussing what we want to do for web news is wrapping it up um and we're talking and we'll be sort of discussing and it's going to sound it might be like kind of pseudo presentation style but we're going to be discussing um what our next steps are and it's going to be a very abstract very you know we haven't like you know fact checked and that type of thing this is a very much a mike and i are going to have a meeting essentially on mike about about wrapping up the site basically what's our current status uh what we need to complete deployment and specifically obviously i'm talking about the html all the things website and and then hopefully uh when you guys are listening to this because like i said uh like i said this has been pre-recorded you'll have something to look at or you'll have something to look at very soon because hopefully it will be deployed to some degree. So uh, without further ado, I guess, Mike, let's, I'll let you kick this off because I think you probably have the biggest status update. Yeah, uh, it's not, it's not too big, but I know like, I know what I need to do. Um, So pretty much I'm just finishing up uh, the login stuff. And like I was mentioning in the episode, like it involved me having to install a whole new technology called uh, Vuex. Uh, and that kind of delayed me a tiny bit, uh, because I wanted to make sure that we really needed it or not. And I, I realized that it's just, it just made sense because it's only on one component, not a big deal. Um, so 
Yeah, uh, and then I what I did was actually we I pulled in all of our uh, login stuff that I developed for Content Collector, and so that's like okay. a that's a, an old project that we had uh, also in Node.js, uh, and I I already had all the authentication stuff server side done on that, uh, so I decided why not just use that and kind of you know cannibalize it for this, and it worked it's working out pretty well so. That saved me a significant amount of time for the server side stuff, uh, but the the front end stuff still needs some work. So I'm still not done login. Uh, I will be finished that today, and then the next thing I need to do is pagination. Still, uh, I do have an idea for that. It should be pretty simple. Um, I was just wondering. I was going to bounce something off you for that though. Uh, for pagination, um, I'm probably going to launch all of them with the load more button. Uh, so, okay. So just. Every filter would just have a load more, load more button for now. I'm not going to worry about having the you know the one two three like the the, the amount of pages we have in the content, uh, just because we don't have that much content anyway at this point. Like we have quite a bit, but like uh, we're going to be loading nine per page. I think we decided on, and it's only going to be a couple load mores at most uh, for most of the content. So I think it's okay for a load more for now, and then I will retrofit it. To be a uh, you know an indi- a one two three page indicator uh, later on in the future for just the filtered pages so that 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 is part still part of the plan. Do we want to? So I think we had this discussion before, but do we want to have it so that it's an infinite scroll? Like you said, there's a load more button, but is the load more button sort of automatically clicked, if you will, or engaged I, when you scroll to it? Yes, I think I will have it. Something like that. Um, I'm going to start with the load more button and then see what it takes to just do, like, you know, an infinite scroll. I'm sure it'll be fairly simple uh, to implement, but I'm just going to start with the load more button because that's, that's you know, it's it's easier for me to test with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To start anyway. So I, I need I need it there for now anyway, regardless of anything. So I'm just going to have it there. Um, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I won't do any too much styling. I'll just put it in the center at the bottom and then I'll let you style it. It'll be... It should be pretty easy for you. It's just one button. If we if we end up using it, like we could potentially, I could remove it and just have it like a loading indicator there, and that's it. What what are you or what are we thinking for? Also, I remember we had this discussion, and I think we went back and forth about whether we needed it. Do you still need a blank, a blank uh, content like a collection I, box? Yes, I absolutely need that. Um, okay, so that's actually like really needed now. I'm just trying to think. Like, I don't know if we 100% need it for the launch. Uh, we might not for the launch, but it's well, definitely... What was it going to be used for? So the, the, it's going to be used for the initial loading screen. So when when the the actual server request is happening and you don't see anything on the page, uh, it'll you'll just see six of those blank content boxes. And then when you actually get all the information back, those six content boxes will go away and they'll be replaced with the actual uh, content. That's what okay. I was going to use okay. it for. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. like, like it's obviously like it's like a visual effect. Yes. It's so it's like you effect. don't really necessarily need it for the launch, but okay. No. Yeah, exactly. Because so. I, I think I'll be focusing on. I guess I think the nav bars are done, but like I have to move those social icons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, move the social is... icons. You also need to look at what social icons we need. Like, like what what I was mentioning was we don't need that medium one up there on the top right of the, uh, of the actual like content pages. Uh, nor, neither do we need the Instagram one because you can't really share on Instagram straight from a website. Uh, yeah. Just leave Twitter, Facebook, and maybe add Reddit. 
I, I did do that. Uh, cool. it, it is on it is Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit now. Okay. Um, I think it was Perfect. I think it was supposed to be G plus as well, but that's obviously <laughs> no no no. We don't need that. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. Is there anything else that people might want to share to like maybe email if they want to like share the link? I'm not really sure about how big that is anymore. No, I I I don't think we need email right now. Um, it's something easy to add anyway. True, like all yeah, like all this stuff is too. like. Yeah, it's like no one's going to be like, man, I can't email this. It's like, well, copy the link, bud. Yeah. Like, do, Okay, so the other thing that I was thinking of is do we need a landing page that explains what this site is? You know what I mean? Like, so on, on initial, it could be a one-time view landing page. So I can make it so that if you have a cookie registered with us, you don't see the landing page anymore. Um or I can make it, and then I can make it so that you can go back to it at some point with 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 another navigation thing. But should we? I don't know if this is for launch or not. I'm just mentioning it because we haven't talked about it yet. Do we need a landing page that explains what HTML all the things is? With that's like, a really you know, good, a, a really a good get question. started button at the at the bottom of it. We can get some graphics done from like a graphic designer for something like I don't know. Like it's it could be something where we can make it look, you know, really professional and nice. And really explain our purpose and what what the site is about, um, yeah. Oh, well, like I mean, that's a really good question too because, I mean, like right now, I think we need some sort of coming soon page to cover up because it gets it's kind of like at, at like at, at the time of recording this, it is like rather, it's 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 like open right now. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it's it's like people if people are going there, they're seeing us move things around. Like it's very it's very not production ready. Yeah, but yet well, it's we haven't announced it, so if people are going there, then they're going there at their own risk, kind of thing. It's okay. Well, I mean, eyes. yeah, I mean, the worst thing that's going to happen for them is something's not going to load. But, yeah. um, I that's a good question because I think we've had this discussion actually recently with a client where where we've actually said to them like, do we like they wanted an about us page, and I said that's kind of dated. Yeah, like there's something there's something about an about us page that just isn't there. It's it's really weird. It's like if you go to an institution, like if you went, if we had a building, people could ask us what we do and then we would answer. But like, it's not like we have like a plaque saying this is what we do. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, I'm just trying to like equate it. I'm trying to think about it across the board in terms of a physical medium as well as like, this yeah. is obviously just digital. Is it like, is, is it, I don't know. It's a good question. Like, are people going to be puzzled? Like if you go to theverge.com or you go to pocket now or you go to somebody else like that, like another tech mm. blog, they don't say we're, I mean, they might say very briefly somewhere we're a tech blog, but that, that that's all they'll say. They won't say we're a tech blog. That's also on YouTube. Come join us. They might say that in like the, the, the default, like sort of description tag in their theme or something, if they're using like a WordPress theme, but like, they're not going to generally have that across the site. And there's no, not that I, remember or see like not 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 that's obvious right not that's thrown at you an about us page yeah that's a good question but are we are are they so big that they don't need that or are they just not doing that because it's obvious what they are like if someone comes to our site and sees a bunch of content blocks that have podcast snippet uh all that stuff like guide all there with the title and description is that enough for them to understand that we are a kind of aggregation of web development content because that's what we are right like we have we're developing web development content for the community uh so that it 
either a teaches them, inspires them, or like entertains them. This is a really this is a really interesting this is a really interesting like kind of dilemma like not just with our website, but this is almost like a UX question of 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 the digital medium is we used to always have an about us page and we will always recommend to customers that are trying to play the local angle to have an about us page because then they explain their local story like oh we're local and organic or whatever right we'll always tell those guys like yeah you need a story because like your brand is like your branding is like reliant on a story and people need like access to it but it's like if you go to if you go to like i said like if you go to the like I, i if you go to a site as a new user are you going to be puzzled like if you if someone comes to html or like podcast.html all the things.com and sees our podbean site are they going to be puzzled as to what's going on i think that one is a little bit more central or like there's a central orientation around a podcast on that uh it's, it's actually in the title of the url and stuff like that i think it's a little bit easier to um to understand what's going on like i actually went to the site right now just to see how it uh how it looks and how how much sense it makes and and it has a a brief description of what we are and what's going on right at the front right like that the first thing you see is kind of like html the things web development small design the adventures you know it, it it describes what's going on so like we don't really have that right now with the html the things website i don't know if we need it like i'm going to i'm going to go to like is there like okay so let's let's think let's think of like a web development site so if you go to like CSS tricks is something that pops into my mind I as like CSS a CSS tricks actually yeah like CSS tricks there's no explanation here um so it's like CSS it's like I'm on the CSS tricks website right now and the very first article here is is building a donut chart with view and yeah, SVG it's, so it's which just is a topical. bunch of content <laughs> yeah up and down yeah it's just a bunch of content and it's like is that because it has the word CSS in the title and anyone who's looking it up is going to understand that. Now, admittedly, yeah. we have HTML in the title. Exactly. Um, and if you go over to the left here, this is kind of where their nav is. They have videos, almanac, uh, gallery snippets, forums, newsletter, and jobs, and guides as well. Yeah. So they kind of have a similar thing yes. um, where like ours looks totally different. Yeah. We don't have an almanac, and our snippets are totally different than this. They're also, also, they're not designed for 1440p, which is strange to me. Oh, you're on 1440p. Yeah, it looks like it's in in mobile. I don't know. It's it's a very strange layout, actually. Like I don't mind it too much, but on 1440p, it kind of cuts off. Uh, let me see how it looks on. Well, this, this is th- that that's actually. I mean, this is like off topic, but like this 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 actually is um, a question of um, almost like a question of ethics. <laughs> this is almost a question of uh, UX, where where it's like. It's like things are, are, yeah, like, are, and we talked about this before. Like things are designed mobile first, and so yes. it's like where it's so it's like where is the cutoff? At what point do we say, well, it's readable on desktop, just leave it? Because an ultra wide monitor, it's like, oh, make a specific thing for ultra wide monitor folks. It's like no. Well, no, it's not even ultra wide. Like you see that gray bar at the right? What's that? What's that gray bar? That's there for any resolution. It's just well, everything. Everything that, that has ads on it. Oh, okay. All right, my bad, my bad. What are you talking about? I have ad blocker enabled on this. Damn thing. it! I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna no. see. Let me, let me see. I'm gonna turn it off. Yeah, that has ads. I had no idea what you were talking about. I was so confused. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I, I see that there's quite a bit of padding. 
I like yeah, how this became. Right. I like how this just became like a critique of <laughs> of, of, CSS, of, of CSS tricks. But yeah. um, well, I like the site. Like it's it's actually a pretty cool site. Um, well, I use it quite a bit to be honest. Yeah, me too. It's it's one of my favorite resources actually for explaining stuff, especially like flexbox and grid and stuff. Definitely huge. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I think you're right. I think let's let's leave it without it for now. Let's forget about the landing page. I just wanted to bring it up because we haven't talked about it yet, and I thought it would be worthwhile to talk about it at least. Well, no, it is. It is. And I actually think that in terms of content, that's actually something we could discuss in a blog post is it's like where – like at what point – and we could – like this would be something we could actually look up. And this would actually help us with our client work as well. Yeah. Is it's is it's like what what exactly – when when do – when or or do you ever need – in today's age, uh, an about us page. Yeah. And like, I mean, we have, like I already said, I already gave an example, but like, are we right in that, in that case? Like we haven't done like a massive case study on it, although it seems to be working for those clients. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, well, it's just not a lot of people go to it. Like we, we have the, we, sorry, we have, we the, have the analytics. Yeah. We have the analytics saying that about us page is one of the least viewed pages. So that, well, that on its own tells me that it's, uh, just not worthwhile well do you know you know and this is this is a strange comparison but do you know what um i kind of equate this to is do you know the youtube channel primitive technology yes i love that channel well one of the things that he said and i'm paraphrasing from like a comment i read like years ago is that he said something like he doesn't like really talking in tutorials he just kind of like fast forwards to the part where they act where the person actually shows it yep. and that's kind of what he does with his tutorials yeah i kind of feel like we're becoming like that, like just maybe as humans or something where like, for example, on a website, it's like, I don't care what this about us page says. I could read it and understand it. Or I could just poke around for two minutes and then be like, Oh, this is a blog. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's true. Um, cause it's, it's, it's not like, like even something like, okay, if you go to like a web app and you go to, let's go to like Asana, I'll open an incognito and I'll just like go to Asana, not signed in. Right. Like they have an explanation of what's going on, but it's like, it's not super, it's not like they're writing paragraph upon paragraph upon paragraph. It's just like, we do task management and like stay on track and blah, 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 blah. Right. And then it's like sign up or like, then you can click for more details. A lot of, I, I, I'm estimating that a lot of people would literally just be like, okay. And they'll sign up for the free tier. Mm -hmm. What is this? Yeah. I think people want to like learn it by like experiencing it now. I think. Um, yeah. Obviously, that like I mean, we're getting kind of in depth on a question about a landing page, but it's yeah. a good question to ask. Yeah. So yeah, okay. So uh, let's okay, let's let's take it back to planning, like what, when we're going to be deploying this. Um. So I still have, I'd say, a pretty significant amount of work to do, but I could probably get like a good chunk of it done today. That's the plan. Uh, tomorrow I'm leaving. Friday I'm going to be working uh, again on it. Um, my intention is to be done by Friday with my stuff okay or what's your timeline looking like I, i'm I'm gonna say friday worst case i'm gonna do like a full day monday on it as well okay if i need to so like friday monday is my my thought process what are you thinking well i'll just literally say what i have to do uh that i have written down so i've done a bunch but i'll just say what i have on the on in my sauna little list thing now um i have Full post typography, which is actually just pending your opinion, which I forgot to message about message you about. Yeah. Um, because I actually did it. So the typography on full post pages is done. Cool. Uh, so I'll let you, like, you know, just just I just need an opinion on it. 
So should I done. should I pull and look? Is that what you mean? Sure, yeah, on my branch, okay. sure. Yeah, okay. Um, so that I have to fix page length at least a hundred percent height at all times because I noticed it was getting cut off. Like okay. if if we only had three in, it would only go to seventy five percent approximately of the page height. Mm -hmm. That looks that looks really stupid. Um, so like the, like at least the background color because we have like just a like gray background color, that background color should be full height. Um. So I need to fix that. Make a footer. I already have the component created, and it literally just says ASDF. And then I need to make it so that it disappears on mobile because I don't think we need one on mobile, uh, because we already have our like navicon or on our like nav menu there. Mm -hmm. But it'll be for desktop experience and you know probably some tablets. And then I need to move the social media icons on mobile. And then really that's it. Uh, in terms of actual like I only really wrote down needed functionality. Yeah, for the for the release, I understand. Yeah. Because other stuff would include like, okay, let's do a box shadow with like some transitions. Let's yeah. have some nice animations. Let's mm -hmm. have some nice like hover effects and that type of thing. I mean, I might be able to get that done. Like a lot of those things, like once you do all this other stuff, a lot of that, like all of that type of stuff is like a day where you just kind of go around and go like, oh, it'd be nice if, and then you just do it. Yeah. Um, and so like, there's like, there's some stuff that doesn't have hover effects and that type of thing. But like, I think that those four things I just listed, which is essentially three and one with an opinion is, is, uh vital like that because i've already done a bunch uh i fixed the i added the reading container so that it limits the width it limits the width of the the reading area uh so that's all gone like you, you know you know what i'm trying to say right it's yeah, like yeah, where i limit sure. limit the yeah, yeah limit the reading area for mm -hmm. the width um and then i fixed the contain i fixed the cover so that the cover photo isn't like affected by the padding anymore cool and i fixed the um so I almost had it where I almost had it where I would need you. So this this was something that was kind of major, well, not major, but it had been like a pain in the ass. Was so Podbean offers two widgets, a square and a and a rectangle, and the square one is, in my opinion, a little bit more mobile focused. On really small screens, our rectangle one, which is like obviously a rectangle in landscape, gets really squished. Mm. And so I was like, oh, maybe we should have two, and then I like all will embed both, but one only one will display. But then I realized when I squished down to the mobile size of the rec like of the the size that I wanted with the rectangle and the square, both of them got squished. Oh, that's dumb. Okay. So, well, because it's iPhone five and our titles are longer. Yeah. So what I did was I removed, I left the widget for the podcast unkempt, so it will touch the edges, which like could like I mean it won't touch the edges it'll it will go closer to the edge than anything else but it makes it actually functional on down to an iPhone 5 screen yeah which I think is like critical and like it 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 just works a lot better because if you if your functionality is blocked on a widget that widget's totally useless yep um so I mean that was one that was one smaller thing uh that well that, that like I mean it was a larger thing in terms of UI because I would have had to ask you to make another thing in JSON right mm -hmm. um <clears throat> Okay, so that that but, sounds that sounds like you can definitely get it done by Friday, like those four things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I did I did a bunch this week already. Because okay. I was waiting for a while too, right? Remember? Yeah. Well, yeah, so. you were waiting for like a whole at least a whole week, uh, if not more. But um, yeah. So I think yeah, I think that that makes sense. So you can definitely get it done by Friday. So that means we're pretty much on track with maybe launching Monday, Tuesday next week. Uh, yeah. Because you're leaving on Wednesday, right? Yeah, I'm leaving on Wednesday, and then I won't be back to the following, yeah, following, so, following Monday. So let's let's aim for launching on Tuesday because that's when this episode will probably come out. Actually, 
right? Well, no, wait, wait, wait. No, that's wrong. That's this episode is two weeks in advance. No, but we can. What I'm thinking is that we, if we release this episode next week, if we're able to launch on Tuesday, oh, then then launch this episode, but we'll still record normally, yes. and then that episode will be my holiday one. Correct. Yeah. If we, I mean, can. they're, so I mean, they're both kind of my holiday some, one because yeah. I'm away for both of them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we have some padding on it. So I'm, I'm, I'm aiming to be done by Friday, worst case Monday, and then we can launch on Tuesday. That seems like it's reasonable unless something terrible happens. Um. Yeah, so that's that's it. Uh, that's I think that's the plan. Let's stick to that. Yeah, that sounds good. So, uh, just to confirm, we want all this done by now. One sec. Do we need to like check it all in or anything for Friday? Like, yeah, if you get, can, if you or... can check your stuff in for Friday, that would be like ideal for me because then I can see if anything conflicts with my check in. Uh, with my like, if I have to do a merge or anything like that. Not that that's an issue because the worst case merge happened already and it was not that bad. It was like it was honestly done over the phone over like a three minute period. Yeah, exactly. That's and that's the worst case merge that could possibly have happened. <laughs> so I'm not too worried. Uh, yeah, that sounds good to me though. Like let's, cause I mean the cause I mean it's coming together and it's very, I think for the user it's still going to be a very Gen One thing, but that's yeah. exactly what it it is because we literally learned every piece of the puzzle. Yep, and we're so. definitely going to keep expanding on it consistently, like week after week after week. It's probably going to be expanding at least once per week. In deploying, de- deploying. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think that's a good plan. I think we're oh, actually. Wait a second. When do we? When's the data entry? Oh. Mm-hmm. Next week we'll have we'll have to. Oh, do, we'll I found to... a problem with data entry. By the way, okay. actually, sorry to cut you off there, but like, uh, they're in the pod, and I think this is a, I think this is a pod bean problem, but I don't want to point fingers because I don't know. Um, I find that I can't copy in Podbean, even onto other word processors. I can't seem to copy an a, a, an indented point, like an indented bullet point. Okay. And when we copy and paste into uh, the the hat website, I can't remember whether the indented bullet points don't indent at all, but they appear, or whether they don't appear. And so oh, my last okay. set of show notes, mm-hmm. I tried to, I tried to, because I'm trying to make the show notes less of a reading material and more of a reference to the show. Because mm-hmm. like I, I write, I used to write them so detailed, or like not like super detailed, but I used to write them detailed enough that like you could just kind of read that and get the yeah. gist without listening. But I kind of feel like it should be more of a, a show guide. So my last one, I didn't do any indented episodes. But like if we're gonna be doing data entry, we're gonna have older episodes in there, and I'm not really gonna be redoing those show notes. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just something to to keep in mind. Like I think it might be something to do with how Podbean is showing the indented bullets because it doesn't seem to be copying right. Like I can't even get it to copy into uh like Google Docs. Yeah. Well, if you can't get it to copy into Google Docs, I probably won't be able to do much because I'm not. I I just use the plugin for the editor. Um, yeah. So well, yeah. like you you can do it if you copy each point individually. But what I mean is is when we do data entry, it's gonna be like that. A pain. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those sub points might just have to be kibosh for now, because we need to get the data in there. Okay. Um, worst case, uh, this is the worst case scenario. Um, but I'm thinking that the data entry should be like heavily Monday, Tuesday. We can try to just hit it real hard and get it all. I mean, in. I mean, a lot of it's copy paste. To be fair, well, I mean, all of it pretty much is copy paste. But it, it's going to take some time because there's a lot, like especially the availability bar will take like a good five minutes per episode or something like that. I think. Maybe we can no, get it down I, no, no, no. I got it already in Trello. All you can do is copy paste. That's good. Yeah. You just literally go and it's like, oh, what episode is this? Episode yeah. one. You just copy the link. Yeah. 
So that that is one thing that we're ready for for sure. Okay. Like I th- that's what that's what I mostly use Trello for is a data dump. Okay. An so organized okay. one. <laughs> so either way, let's let's aim for Monday Tuesday to be data entry, so Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. So um we can and get it all in. One final thing is the admin panel, does that need to be styled before the launch? No. Okay, but it can be. Yes. And how, what can I touch in there? Uh, like any of the styling, you can style it as you want. It's just HTML. Can I? But can I like wrap it? Can I add more IDs and more classes, or is that going to mess up your stuff? No, it should be fine as long as you keep the classes that I have intact. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you were like reading into class names and being like, first child, I want this to apply to this, and then if I change the first yeah, child. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I don't, I don't think I'm doing that at all. So I think you should be fine. I'm just, I'm binding it literally to the the Vue.js variables. Okay. So it should be fine. All right. Well, All I right. think uh, I well, I think I mean we have our work cut out for us for sure. Yeah. But uh, good to I'm go. Ready to go? I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we've covered it all. Like we've been talking about this so much. Like, oh my yeah. god. It'd be nice to have it out there. Yeah. And, and getting and torn and apart, then... getting torn apart by our audience. Please tear us apart. <laughs> Well, the main thing I want from this is like is like all the time that we're putting into this will then be put into content. And yes. I think there's going to be so much more content pouring out because I'm going to literally like wake up and if I don't have a client work thing to do and be like, what content am I making today? Not, oh, what? I have to fake the footer. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, so. Um, okay. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I don't know if you have any more comments, but I think I'm good myself. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Well, if uh, if you if you listen to this point, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for listening. And make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. Yeah, you can also follow us on the socials at HTML, all the things for Facebook and Instagram at HTML, everything for Twitter. We're on Medium, we're on GitHub, and we're also on Reddit. Remember, we have that Reddit application thing, which you can uh, listen to in the previous episode. And uh, or episode, what what is that episode named? Just in case, because this episode order sounds like it's going to get messed up. The episode is named Project or uh, Gathering Project Scope and Requirements. So make sure you listen to that if you are interested in becoming a Reddit admin or mod or whatever they call that for our subreddit. And uh, remember, we're on Patreon, which is Patreon.com/slash/html. All the things. Take a look at the tiers. Give that a go. Feel free to comment or it's free for you to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. Yeah.